0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Charlotte to speak with Walker Mail of Locked On Hornets about Charlotte's improbable push for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. We'll speak with Josh Bass of Locked On Nets about Brooklyn locking up and finalizing their spot in the 2019 NBA playoffs. And lastly, we go to John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about a couple of injuries suffered by some key Boston players in Sunday's loss to the Magic and how that Tens for the Celtics playoff push and their matchup against Indiana in the first round. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We are two NBA days away from the playoffs being all set and finalized. Some interesting stuff happening across a really busy Sunday. We're going to touch on a few of those playoff matchups and playoff pushes in this episode. So let's get to it. Now let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast coming to us live on location from the TD Garden. It is John Corrales. The Celtics, uh, one of the first playoff matchups that we know is going to occur now as the Celtics are going to take on the Indiana Pacers in the first round of the playoffs. They lost the Orlando Magic today, John. But first of all, I want to start with a couple of injuries that were suffered today by a couple of key members of the Celtics starting five. Both Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart got hurt today. Can you give us the latest on the status of both of those guys?
2: Yeah, Jason Tatum suffered what they're calling a bruised shin, and that was something, according to Brad Stevens, that he had before the game even started and went through shoot-around, went through warm-ups, and nothing was bothering him. Then the game started, and for some reason, something bothered him, so they pulled him out. Marcus smart after a little bit of confusion, initially diagnosed as a, a hip contusion, then a strained oblique. It now is being called a bruised oblique, not strained. And I think that would significantly change the time frame of the recovery. But right now, that's what they're saying. It was a bruise. He was hit in that oblique area and it was spasming. And that's why he went down and that's why he needed help getting off the floor. So both guys are going to be reevaluated in the morning. And I, I never expected those two to play against Washington anyway. And that's a completely meaningless game that no one of any significance will play uh, unless they need the bodies. But uh, they'll, they'll look at those two guys. It seems right now that the smart injury isn't quite as bad as it was initially made to seem. So, But we'll get confirmation on that after some imaging.
0: Yeah, look, when Woj tweeted out that it was a strained oblique muscle, that makes you think you're yeah, not games, but potentially weeks. Like that's a that's a key injury. That's a core muscle injury and strains can be you know, significant. There can be significant tears in those muscles. So there's a big difference between that initial report of a strain and then a subsequent follow-up by Brad Stevens of calling it a bruise. If Jason Tatum was dealing with that issue in his uh, shin before the game, why would he bother of have even been out there?
2: I, that's a great question. Uh, as far as Brad Stevens said, he didn't know about it. That nothing nothing was made of it. That uh, Tatum went, warmed up, did everything, and he was fine. And he said he was fine. And it's not that Brad Stevens said that he knew about it and let him play. It's that Stevens says he didn't even know about it. So once he felt weird, I guess is the way they put it. Once he felt weird jumping, they pulled him out and sent him back to the locker room. Hard to say because... Contusion can mean a lot of things and it could be a symptom of something. It could feel like a contusion, but be something else. So Brad Stevens really downplayed both injuries, but he, he definitely said he was unaware of the Tatum thing before the game.
0: This may seem a little bit conspiratorial, but how much do you think that Brad Stevens downplaying both of these injuries, especially after that report of the Marcus Smart suffering a strain come out of him saying, no, 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 it's just a bruise. He's walking in the locker room. How much of that do you think is... Um, uh, playing mental games, I guess, with the Pacers, so they don't think, oh, these guys are suffering severe injuries, more against, more so Smart than Tatum, but they go, well, he's going to be ready, they're going to sit out this final game, and, and yeah, that point was made that we're not going to see most of these guys play in this final game of the season, so that the Pacers don't go, well, these guys aren't sitting out because of injuries, it's just a regularly scheduled rest and they're going to be fine. Do you think there's an element of truth or an element of possibility of truth that this injury from Smart perhaps might keep him out of game one or game two of this Pacers series, and Stevens is just down. I'm playing it for a matchup by psychological purpose.
2: I mean, there's always some gamesmanship that comes with that. But I, I think at this level of basketball, all contingencies are are taken under consideration by a team, especially when you've got a week to prepare. Like, I don't think Nate McMillan's going to look at this and say, oh, no, Marcus Smart isn't playing. Oh, we haven't prepared for that at all over the course of five days, six days. So they know who's in the game and Marcus Smart doesn't play 48 minutes. So they, they will have stretches where Marcus Smart doesn't play. And that that will just be their game plan. They'll if if he's not on the floor, they will they'll be ready for whomever the Celtics throw out there. So gamesmanship, sure. Brad Stevens is known to, to do that. Whenever there's an injury, he won't announce the starting five until he absolutely has to 20 minutes before a game. But I am sure like they, they want to play things close to the vest. They're not going to reveal every nature of every injury and and tell everything before they have to. But I, I do think that in this particular case, he's he's really getting preliminary information and they're they're going to definitely keep as much information as they can from the Pacers. But I don't think this is really anything of any significance like that.
0: I guess we'll find that out in the coming days and weeks with more information coming on these injuries Uh in the next 24 or 48 hours. Now, John, the Celtics team is going to fail to win 50 games this season. If you had have mentioned that to a lot of people in the NBA in the September, August period of the preseason, I think a lot of people would have been laughed at by by even suggesting that. So. The question I have for you is, is this regular season with the unexpected losses, with the weird locker room stuff that's been coming out, with the reports of players not getting along with each other, has this season been a disappointment, or is that story yet to be written with how things pan out in the playoffs?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a disappointment up until now, but I think it's very likely, possible anyway, that there are still a few chapters here to be written. And sometimes a disappointing first few chapters give way to a more pleasant final few, at least from a Boston perspective. So they do have an opportunity. And I've seen that come up from time to time. I've seen the positive stuff come up and present itself with these, with these guys. It just hasn't come up often enough. They have the opportunity to play well, play connected. Uh, I think some of it may coincide with fewer minutes for Terry Rozier and fewer minutes for Marcus Morris. I think the playoffs will give Brad Stevens an opportunity to play some of the combinations that he wants rather than some of the c- combination that he's had to throw out there to manage minutes. I mean, you have to consider an 82-game season is a long time. You can't play Kyrie and Al Horford 40 minutes a game for an 82-game season. So certain guys have to play. They also had the element of Gordon Hayward's injury, which seems to be mostly resolved at this point. And he's – I had to put a number on it maybe 80% back or so. And if that's accurate, then that gives the Celtics an element that they haven't had for all but the past two weeks of the season. So there is a strong possibility that the Celtics can figure some stuff out just by virtue of playing the right guys, the right amount of minutes and getting a more uh, explosive, more productive Gordon Hayward. And on top of that, uh, Jalen Brown, who's been fantastic over the past few months of the season, so it's in there for the Boston Celtics. I can see why some people might say they'll, you know, wait till they they see it. Um, that's certainly true of these guys, but they they definitely have an opportunity here to to rewrite a lot of things that have been said about them and, and change the the tenor of the conversation.
0: All right, well, John, you will have all of that covered over with the other members of the Locked On Celtics podcast over the course of the next uh, either few weeks or few months more, hopefully, for Celtics fans as they head into this first-round matchup with the Indiana Pacers, everyone. Check out Locked On Celtics. And John, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me.
2: You got it. Thanks.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and any podcast across the Locked On Podcast Network by checking out the Himalaya podcast app. You can search Locked On and find your favorite show right there on that Himalaya podcast app. Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, Walker Male, is here to speak about the Charlotte Hornets who uh, pulled off a, a huge victory, really a, a, almost a, like two victories today on Sunday against the Detroit Pistons to push themselves uh, into currently the, the ninth seed equal with the Heat who are in 10th and one game behind the Detroit Pistons. Walker, this Charlotte team has refused to give up here down the stretch when it, it appeared their playoff chances were very minimal, but now there is a real chance with the Pistons faltering and the Hornets yeah, rolling it the moment that they could find themselves in that eighth seed.
3: It's been remarkable, this roller coaster that we've been on with the Hornets. So after the second loss that they had to the Miami Heat, remember they won a couple of their games early against Miami, and then the second loss that they had, I was willing to bow out of the playoff race. I thought it was over. And then certainly when they went on that losing streak where they lost to the Lakers, where they had a couple of that, that loss to the Utah Jazz, I just thought there was no way that the Hornets would be back they I think had a three percent playoff chance according to 538 just a week ago not even a couple of games ago and now with this win against Detroit they have a real shot to make it to the postseason they're up to I think 31 percent which is a significant increase and if Orlando loses to the Boston Celtics tonight then the Charlotte Hornets control their own destiny it was a race to 40 wins after a while and Nobody was able to get above 40 wins. The Detroit Pistons now, I think, on a four-game losing streak with their loss to the Hornets. And Blake Griffin, while they do have an easy schedule playing against the Grizzlies and the Knicks, Blake Griffin did not look healthy today. Seemed to settle for a lot of three-pointers. I think 11 attempts from behind the line. And you could see that he wasn't exactly uh, 100% healthy out there. And and so who knows what the Pistons are going to do. But as long as the Orlando Magic lose to the Boston Celtics tonight, then the Charlotte Hornets can absolutely they'll control their own destiny with a game against Cleveland on the road. And then it's back to play at home against the Orlando Magic second night of back-to-back. It's been incredible that they actually have a legitimate shot at this after I and a lot of other Charlotte Hornets fans had written them off a couple of times already in the second half of the
0: season. So obviously they're expecting to get that win against the Cavs. I don't think anyone should be too surprised about that. But that last game against Orlando, again, as you mentioned about this Orlando-Boston game, we'll see how that one pans out. And that's going to be a key, key matchup there on uh, Wednesday, the final day of the NBA season. And of course, Charlotte wouldn't have been able to get here without the play of Kemba Walker, who's been carrying this team, not just this season, for many, many seasons. But can you just sort of put into, uh, into words how important Kemba's been? Because there are people who don't watch Charlotte every game. I think everyone's uh, aware of that. But just how important he has been, you're carrying the load that he has on this team.
3: Well, he's everything to this team, and it's why it's been interesting this entire season to have the conversation about the Charlotte Hornets and what is the best thing for this franchise. It's maybe as complex a situation as there is in all of the NBA as far as a small market team holding on to a star like Kimball Walker when you see all too frequently stars leave the small market team, but would it be better for the Hornets, for Kimball Walker to go somewhere else, and especially the way he's playing right now he could be eligible for a super max contract and that would tie up even more money to a Kimba Walker. You have two more years left of Nick Batum. It's just been insane to see the situation that the Hornets are in. But the way that Kimba's played, like I said, he's eligible for that supermax contract if he gets an all NBA selection. And he just might do it. You see the four games that he's played here in April, he's averaged thirty six a game in April. Fifty-five percent from the field, forty-eight percent from three-point range, and the free throw lane. He's been getting to the free throw line quite a bit and hitting those as well. He's been incredible in the month of April so far, and really the entire season. You know, he's a bona fide All Star. You know, three straight All Star appearances now after he got this one, and he could be looking at his first All NBA selection. And when you look at other guys like a Bradley Beal and a Clay Thompson, you know, I think it would have taken. I think it will take a Kemba Walker playoff appearance to do so. If people see the way that he's been playing all year long and they see the strong finish that he's having to the season right now, and if the Hornets get in, then you might just have to give it to Kemba over a Bradley Beal or a Clay Thompson. And if that's the case, then it makes Charlotte's decision a lot more interesting. They're in a weird space where it just might be better for Kemba to not get an All-NBA selection, but of course they're going to hope for the best for their star player. I mean, he's the best... Player in franchise history. It's a weird space the Hornets are in, but Kemba he's been unbelievable the last few seasons. Certainly, this one has been his best, and the Hornets have relied on him heavily to get them to the playoffs. And man, he actually just might do it after a lot of times I think we've doubted.
0: I'm sure I wasn't the only one, but yeah, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, James Borrego made changes to his rotation, pushed Nick Batum to the bench, started a wing combination of uh, you know, rookie Miles Bridges and second-year player Dwayne Bacon, who didn't play a huge amount in his uh, in his first season, you know, eliminating guys like Kid Gilchrist out of the rotation. Now, Batum did return to start on Sunday with Marvin Williams out. Kid Gilchrist had been starting in that spot, and Batum was back there. But did that change? To me, that, that signified, okay, we're just going to see what develop what these young guys can do and put a little bit more load onto the shoulders of Bacon and Bridges, but they've adapted well. The team's playing at a similar, if not elevated level, and we're here pushing towards the playoffs. Like, How important, what did you think, first of all, when that rotation change was made to elevate these younger guys, and how surprised, or if you've been surprised by the way that these guys have taken on this role, and the team really hasn't seemed to miss a beat?
3: Well, I thought... It was certainly, it was easy to tell that. It was, again, after that second Miami loss, a lot of people felt down like that was it. After they lost again to Miami, then that was going to be the last shot that they had to get to the playoffs. They lose to Philadelphia the very next game by four points, and certainly everybody wrote them off. And then that's when Borrego starts to go to the young guys. I thought it was the right move. Go ahead and get the young guys in there. Play your Dwayne Bacons, your Miles Bridges a lot more minutes. Go ahead and throw Malik Monk out there again, who had been out of the rotation quite a bit for quite a long time. Devontae Graham goes in. Just crazy young players that it's it's obvious to me when you go that route that winning is not your number one priority anymore. It's developing the young players for the future, and yet – This was a weird thing where they go on a four game winning streak. They had not had one four game winning streak all season long or longer. It was only three game winning streaks that they had. And so they beat Minnesota, they beat Boston. They beat Toronto with the crazy Jeremy Lamb half-court shot, and they beat San Antonio in overtime, and if you follow at all about the Hornets, maybe you only know one stat, and if that's true, I bet it's the one that they have been so bad late in the fourth quarter and in overtime. In one-possession games, it's ridiculous, and yet they're able to beat San Antonio in an overtime game. They go on a three-game losing streak, and then they're able to win three more games after that with these young guys, so... I am very surprised that they're able to win these games. I think some of it you have to chalk up to fresh legs. I don't want to take anything away from what the guys have been doing. I mean, Dwayne Bacon has been fantastic. Three straight games where he had 20 points at the end of March. Devontae Graham has done some nice things. I think you have to give them all the credit in the world. I, I just wonder how much fresh legs have anything to do with it at the end where Dwayne Bacon you know, is, is not a part of the rotation all year. And, and Devontae Graham, same thing. Those guys... Are getting sent back down to the g league and coming back up and uh, a lot this season you know malik was a guy that again was out of the rotation quite a bit miles bridges even though they put him in the starting lineup nick batum was still getting a lot more minutes when they made that move so i wonder how much but well, we joke about it on the podcast uh, it's the freshest legs in the nba but it's a lot of fun and now the hornets because of the play of the young guys and kimball walker They're looking at a real shot to get in. Well, it's going
0: to be interesting to see how this pans out. There is uh, only two games left for the Hornets. Coming right down to the wire here for the playoffs, if you want to hear more about the Hornets' perspective on these last couple of games and their push to fight into the eight seed. Check out Walker and Locked On Hornets, wherever you find your uh, favorite podcast over, uh, of course, number one on that Himalaya podcast app. Walker, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: Now it's time to bring in the host of the Locked On Nets podcast, Josh Bass, is here to talk about the Brooklyn Nets clinching a playoff spot in the 2019 NBA playoffs, something which uh, I guess in the preseason, last season, any time in the last two three years would have seen, uh, seemed almost impossible, but here we are, the Nets have made this push through. I think last time I had you on Locked On NBA, Josh, we are talking about just how tough of a schedule Brooklyn had to close out the season, but they've done it and they are uh,
1: in the playoffs. Yeah, they did, Josh, and it's been a a long four years for the Nets, um, but really it's been a remarkable kind of rebuild that they've done on the fly here. You know, the schedule was definitely tough. Uh, They caught a break um, being able to play Milwaukee on Saturday when they had already clinched up the number one seed, so Giannis was able to sit, and, you know, they needed Giannis to sit because that game was an absolute nail-biter. Even without him and Brogdon, they just barely pulled out to win, and if they had lost that game, they would be uh, sweating down to the wire in uh in the last game of the season against the miami heat so you know before this back-to-back wins against milwaukee indiana the, the nets weren't playing that great but able to pull out two wins here uh the indiana game especially a uh, convincing win for them and now we don't have to worry before that wednesday game against the heat and able to uh rest up a bit before the playoffs the last
0: five games have seen the Nets take on the Celtics, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Bucks again, and the Pacers, and to come out of that five-game stretch with three wins is obviously huge, and it's a big reason why they are now in the playoffs, currently sitting in the sixth seed, uh, equal with uh, the Magic. We're recording this before the Magic and Celtics game ends, and at the moment, uh, we've got five minutes to go in that game, and the uh, Magic hold a four-point lead, so they could be pushed down to the seventh seed by the end of Sunday's action. Um, Is there any matchup in that top four of the Eastern Conference that you feel like Brooklyn would uh, would prefer, or not prefer necessarily, but they would match up better against?
1: Yeah, you know, it's. I think they're going to be a, such a massive underdog against uh, either Philly or Toronto, but the better matchup is clearly going to be Philly. Um, they played them really well this year, including getting two wins. Uh, both of those wins were before the Tobias Harris trade. But the Nets have matched up with them pretty well. I think the one thing Philly struggles with, especially on defense, will be defending those guards that can really score at all levels of the uh, of the court. And that's what Spencer Dinwiddie can do. And he's had some amazing games against Philly. He's averaging, I think it's 24 points and six assists per game this year against them on a ridiculous 58% shooting from the field and uh, over 60% on threes. He had a 39-point game against them, and he's really Brooklyn's best hope. You know D'Angelo is going to have a consistent output, but if Dinwiddie can get going against Philly, he could be the X factor. And When you look at a team like Toronto, even though the Nets have beaten them this year also in an overtime game, they just don't have the horses over uh, what could be a seven-game series to match up with Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam at the same time, um, and if they're able to control one of those guys, it's pretty likely the other one will be able to go off for a 25- or 30-point game. and Really, uh, just Nets don't have necessarily the depth to be able to match up with the variety of lineups that Toronto can throw at you.
0: I want to talk about a guy who probably doesn't get spoken about much with this Brooklyn team, and that's Jared Dudley, who started out the season as a starter, hurt his hamstring, was out, and then came back and was out of the rotation, and now he's moved back into this bench role where he's playing 20 minutes a night. But over the last... Week The last two games, especially, he has been pivotal for this team, taking some of those minutes that Damari Carroll was playing, taking some of the minutes that Trevion Graham was playing, and and I guess um, helping to offset the the loss of Alan Crabb, who had that knee surgery. How important has Dudley been? We know what he does off the court. We know what he does in the locker room. We know what he does on social media, going out there and and defending this team and constantly really bigging up all his teammates.
1: But on the court, just how good has he been, especially in these last couple of games? Oh, He's been huge, Josh. And, you know, it's funny because at the start of the year, we loved having Jared Dudley on the team, but it seemed like he was washed up and that he shouldn't be getting minutes. And the resurgence he's had kind of, I think, starting really at that uh, December game versus the Lakers where he had that huge uh, shot to put them away. Uh, it's been remarkable. And he's just such a smart player that he can compensate for his complete lack of athleticism at this point. He knows the right spot to be on defense. He's making the smart rotations, the extra passes. Uh, And he's been huge. A game against Milwaukee, he was pretty much the sole reason that they were able to pull out a win. He had 16 points in uh, 23 minutes, hitting clutch threes, getting to the free throw line six times, something that you won't expect from a guy like Jared Dudley. And he was a plus 19 for them. So with kind of the the Nets being thin at the forward spot, Rody Kurutz, I think you and I are both very high on his potential long-term, but he is an inconsistent player. Damari Carroll looks like he's wearing down and uh, had a slight hand injury against the Pacers. Ronda Hollis Jefferson's out of the rotation. You don't know what you're going to get from Travion Graham. The Nets are have had to rely on Dudley and just um, using his intelligence to compensate for uh, a lot of their younger guys making um, constant communication errors on defense. He's been huge for them.
0: And it's, I guess it was a bit underrated that he did miss that time and how important he has been since returning to this squad. What's the what's the buzz like with Brooklyn? Brooklyn fans are on Twitter, you know, local media reaction to this team making the playoffs because it was seen as an NBA almost wasteland for these couple of years. No draft picks, no hope, no future, all that sort of talk. How is the Brooklyn community, whether that is, again, online or local, getting behind this team as they you know, are going to be making this appearance through April and, and playing May basketball?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. My my Twitter timeline right now is just absolute euphoria. Um, and you when you look at these other teams, they're kind of in in the mix with for those last few spots, whether it be Orlando and Charlotte. Um, those teams are kind of in that NBA wasteland, if you will. But for the Nets, they had no expectations this year. People were thinking best case scenario, maybe thirty five or thirty six wins. But looking at everything that's happened, um, whether that's D'Angelo Russell uh, making that All Star appearance and really taking a huge leap to be. Uh, a very good long-term piece for this Nets team. Spencer Dinwiddie continuing his emergence as one of the top six men. Rodie Kuritz being a draft steal. Uh, to be able to to kind of have all that and also cap it off with a playoff appearance and guaranteed at least a five hundred record. Everyone is just absolutely thrilled and kind of using this as a launching pad for what could be an interesting destination for free agents this summer. Um, And really, you know, these last few years have been so tough for Nets fans and being able to have a playoff berth to show for it just a few years after they were 20 and 62 and just a disaster of a team with no real long term pieces on it. Uh, it's, It's pretty cool to see. And I think the fans and media have really gotten behind this team. It is going to be really
0: interesting to see how they do in the playoffs. We, we know that they can mix it up with any team in the Eastern Conference, give them a, a bit of a shake, and we'll see how that all pans out throughout the NBA playoffs as D'Angelo Russell looks to take his team uh, maybe past that first round. Who knows how things shake out. Josh, will have that all covered for you over on Locked On Nets. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me on, Josh. And that does it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast, Locked On NBA, on the Himalaya podcast app. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And when you're in your car, just tell your smart device to play the podcast Locked On NBA. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble, and follow the network at LockedOnNBA.net. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.